We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Father, it's truly a blessing to be here this morning to, to open up your Word and to, to look at what you have to say to us. God, I just pray that you empower me and fill me with the Holy Spirit that I might speak your truth with boldness, grace, mercy, and in love. Lord, this book is a challenging book for us as Christians, but it's also an encouraging book for us as you warn us against false teachers and how they will come about in our day. Lord, I just pray for all of those this morning that are not able to be here, that are sick, and I pray, God, that you be upon them and that you heal them. And Lord... As, as well as the prayer list that we have. It's extensive. There are many needs, many people that are in pain and suffering, and many people who have lost loved ones. And God, we just pray for them, and we ask that you give them that grace and that peace that comes from knowing you. And this morning as we look into your word, I pray you transform our lives, that you encourage us, that you challenge us, that you open up your truth, that you teach us what it is that we have in our salvation that comes from Christ. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I've titled this message, Having a Faith that Avoids the Faults. Uh, we've decided that Second uh, Peter would be the place that we would go. And you may be asking, why Second Peter, Stuart? And I truly believe that in our day and age there are churches all over America, all over the world that, that are meeting on this very day that are teaching false doctrine and false teachings across our nation to a people who are not wise of the Word of God. And as we sit here this morning, that's taken place. And so this is one of the reasons that I feel it's important for us to understand the book of Second Peter. <laughs> So let us take some time to draw a big picture of this book to make it uh, easily understood as we get diving into this book. There's one major theme that runs consistently through this book and it deals with false teachers. It deals with the heresies that, that people are encountering then and that we are encountering in our day. They existed in His day, they exist in ours, and we need to be ready to encounter those who have false teachings. We have them in our community, we have them in our county, we have them in our state, and in our nation, and across the world. So, really this book can be divided into five parts. This is not the only way you can divide this book. There are many outlines out there for you to choose. I found this one helpful for me. And it begins in chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, the salutation. Uh, the second part is avoiding false teachers by understanding uh, salvation. The third part is avoiding false teachers by understanding the Scriptures. Fourthly is avoiding false teachers by understanding false teachers themselves. And lastly, avoiding false teachers by understanding uh, the future. Now, I didn't come up with this outline. I got it from John MacArthur. I found it helpful for me, but it's not my thought process. But I did look at many, many outlines, and this one to me made sense. It helped me understand the big picture of this book is avoiding false teachers. 
And the focus is on false teachers and how we can have victory as we encounter them in our daily lives. So let us begin this morning by reading our text. If you will, turn with me to the book of 2 Peter. We'll begin in chapter 1 and we'll look today at verses 1 and 2. I'm reading from the New American Standard. You're welcome to follow along as I've placed some slides up there this morning. But I want to encourage you to bring your Bible to church. We, we've been blessed enough as a nation, as a country, to be able to hold this book in our hands without persecution. And so let us bring so we can take notes and write things down and circle things and so that we can remember as we read along. But let us begin this morning. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle, of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's a short verse, but there's a lot packed into these short verses. And the first thing that we see this morning is we see the author of the book. Now, I don't know about you, but in my Bible, I have, I have big letters up at the top that tell me this is the second letter of Peter. Now, you may have in your Bible, maybe it says the, the second epistle general of Peter if you're reading from the King James Version. But the reality is those words are not the divine inspired Word of God. They're placed there to help us maneuver through the Scriptures. They weren't placed there from the original authors. We've placed them there. But the question is, how do we know that they know that this is a book written by Peter? Well, let us look at the first part of verse 1. It says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Here, the writer of this letter pins his name in the very beginning of his letter. This was a common thing during this time period. It was common for these people to pin their names at the beginning of the letter. Now in our day, we write a letter and we get to the bottom at the end of it and then we sign who it is. But during this time period, it was a common practice for them to make known whose letter it was right off the bat and he starts off by saying Simon Peter now Simon was a very common name back then a matter of fact Simon is the Greek uh, usage of the word uh, Simeon would be the Hebrew usage of the word same name same, same concept but not really clear enough in itself that we would be convinced that Simon was really writing this letter without Peter following the first name Simon And so Simon Peter is there to clarify this. Now it's very interesting as we really begin to look at each letter, each word of Scripture as we begin to to study and, and we realize how important it is every word of the Word of God. Take for example Simon Peter. These are the first two words that we see in this passage of Scripture. And some may not be aware this morning that Simon was, was his original name. That was his name from the beginning. But if you recall, when Jesus met him there in John chapter 1, verse 42, and he said, your name will now be Peter. He said, and he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas. Now, which when translated is Peter. So Cephas means Peter. So Simon was the name before Christ said he would be called Peter from now on. But here Peter states his name as Simon Peter. 
Now, I found it interesting that when we look at the story of Paul and his conversion on the road to Damascus, he became Paul. He's no longer Saul. We don't call Paul Saul Paul. Paul don't call himself Saul Paul. He calls himself Paul. It's a great picture of how Peter sometimes acted like his old self. And really, don't we do that sometimes? Don't we act like ourselves, like what we used to be? As unbelievers. I mean, Scripture teaches that as we as Christians are new creatures, new creatures in Christ. But sometimes you and I decide to get back in the old self and live life for a time. And so did Simon Peter. Peter was a faithful man. If you recall from Matthew 14, he says, Even though all may fall away, Lord, yet I will not. You know as well as I do, yet Simon the Faithless denies Christ three times. Don't get me wrong, Peter is a great man, he's a godly man, he's a brave man, he's a faithful man, but Peter acted like his old self many times, and through this, he is wanting us to understand and learn from his mistakes. Don't you recall there in John 21 when Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Did he call him Simon or did he call him Peter? Well, he called him Simon, son of John. Now, if Jesus is the one that changed his name and said, you will be called Peter, why all of a sudden is he saying, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Because he was acting like his old self when he began to deny Christ. Sometimes we get back in our old stage of life. We begin to do things that we know is not right. And that's what Peter did so many times, but yet he learned from his mistakes. Some of us need to stop living like the old us and start living like the changed us that God has made us if we are truly new creatures in Christ. Second Peter 1, the beginning says, Simon Peter, a bondservant, Apostle of Jesus Christ. He calls himself a bondservant. Now to you and I, that doesn't really mean a big deal. But in this time and in this culture, to be called a bondservant was a bad thing. It was a bad thing. But really, we as Christians, as born-again believers, regenerated, we are all bondservants of God, of Christ Jesus. We notice that Peter in his own introduction is, is showing humility. He understands his position in Christ. That he is not in control of his own life, but he understands that the Master, that God Himself, that Jesus Christ is. To call yourself a doulos in the Greek, that's what the Greek word for bondservant is doulos. To call yourself a doulos would be to call yourself a slave. And placing yourself as the lowest possible level of society that you could be because in that day, in that culture, slaves could be considered no better than an animal. And yet, here we see Peter calling himself a bondservant, a slave, a doulos. How do you view yourself this morning? How do you view your own life? Romans 12 tells us, don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Do you consider yourself a slave to Christ? Your own master? Do you see that you are not your own? That you were bought with a price? 
Or do you see yourself in control of your own life, your own ruler, not willing to be submissive men and women to the things of God? A man by the name of William Barclay stated it this way, to call the Christian a doulos of God, a slave of God, means that he is unqualifiably at the disposal of God. The master could do what he wanted to with the slave. The Christian that is a doulos of God, a slave of God, is the man that has no rights of his own. God can send him where he wishes. God can do with him as he wishes because he is owned by the master. That's what it means to be a doulos. Sometimes that's hard because we don't want to do what God calls us to do. But Peter is living by example as he tells you and me this morning that he is a bondservant of Christ. He also says here, Simon Peter, bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says this, he's an apostle. He also says that... In one sense, he's a humble man, a servant, a, a doulos, but yet in the same breath, we see an honored man, a man with authority. Peter had the qualities of a true leader. Yes, he made mistakes. He's not afraid to tell you and admit them, but he learned from his mistakes. And he taught us through his mistakes. He was a courageous man, if you remember, as he stood there in the garden, as he stood up for Christ, and he cut the ear off of that soldier. He was a faithful man, as we see later, that he was martyred for his faith. We see he was an obedient man. As he there in Luke chapter 5, when he had been fishing all night, and Christ came to him and said, hey, cast your nets out. And he says, Lord, we've been fishing all night, but because you say so, I will cast the nets. He was a humble man as he considered himself a doulos of God, a slave to Christ, but yet he was a leader of leaders. Peter was part of the inner circle, if you remember, included himself and James and John. He was the spokesman for the disciples. When asked if you remember there in the book of Matthew chapter 16 and when he was standing there in Caesarea Philippi, which I had the opportunity to visit a couple of years ago, and I stood in the very area where Jesus asked the very question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? He's not talking... To Peter, he's talking to the whole group of disciples. You could say it in the southern slang, who do y'all say that I am? And Peter answers for the group. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was a spokesman for the disciples. He was an apostle. One chosen, one selected, one, one seen by Christ, one that seen Christ, one that witnessed the resurrection of Christ. And those were some of the requirements of being an apostle. And so we have a servant, a slave, under the authority of God, and yet Peter was a man with authority to preach the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
He was a leader of leaders and yet he still failed and God in His great mercy still used him. And I don't know about you, but that brings joy to me as a Christian. Isn't that a great message? That even though we have jacked it up, we have messed it up, God in His great mercy can still use all of us to bring about His great work and His great salvation to His people. So we see the authorship. It was Peter. He wrote the book. But who was the book written to? The book of 1 Peter, as we studied through it, was very clear of whom wrote the book and who it was written to right off the bat. Verse 1. As my pastor says back home, the key was in the door. But yet when we come to 2 Peter, the key ain't in the door, it's under the mat, and we got to look a little deeper to understand who the book was written to. And so as we begin to do that, we takes us to chapter 3, verse 1. As it says, this is now... Beloved, the second letter that I'm writing to you, which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Here we have a direct link back to 1 Peter chapter 1. As we see it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who were all chosen... The letter of 2 Peter was written to the same group of Christians that we see the first letter was written to. Those that were scattered throughout what we would consider modern day Turkey. And it was given by way of reminder, it says. Here we have a second letter that's given by way of reminder. Sometimes you guys might question why I like to be repetitive. Why well, I like repetition. Some may even say you share the gospel too much if there's ever such a thing. But the reality is, is we have new people every Sunday for the first time that may have the opportunity to hear something we've already said. And so God calls me to be repetition. Have repetition in these messages as we share the gospel and the hope of Jesus. Whether they're here or on the internet, God calls us to be reminded of things, of the truth of God's Word. We should be excited to hear them no matter how many times they're said because they're the God's Word and their truth. And he, by way of reminder, is writing another letter to these same people in this group for the benefit of them and the benefit of us today. These people were those that were scattered. The Greek word is diaspora. It means to be to be sowed like seed. They, it was like you know they casted the seed purposely, and it was like God in His great sovereignty and His great mercy and grace. Though they they endured persecution, we saw in Second Peter, they were scattered throughout these areas. But yet, God in His greatness was scattering a group of people that would be able to share the gospel and the hope of Christ in new areas. And while God is working to bring about the knowledge of Himself, we need to understand that the devil, in the same way, is working through false teachers. And Peter, knowing this, is going to stir up their minds by way of reminder. So we see Simon Peter, bondservant, Apostle of Christ Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter understands that we will 
all of us eventually one day encounter false teachers in our day. And He wants us to be prepared to stand up against them. And the important thought here in the verse is that we understand our salvation. That we understand who we are in Jesus Christ. It says to those that have received a faith is the same kind as ours. Salvation has always been the same. And the foundation of that is the same. For them then and for us now, it's still the same. The source always remains. But notice what it says here. To those who have received a faith. Don't miss that this morning, folks. Don't miss that. Because to receive something implies that the salvation, the faith that we obtain is a gift from God. It's not something you've earned. The verb here in the Greek is lakeno. Lakeno. It's what we translate into English as received or like the new, uh, the, the, the King James Version says obtained. It's the very practice uh, uh, of obtaining something. It's given by allotment. It's like the practice of casting lots. If you remember, we studied there in the book of Jonah a while back. If you remember those men, uh, they wanted to cast lots so that they could see who the source of the problem was. And so they cast lots. And God revealed to them who the problem was. It's the same idea as we receive a faith from God. It's a divine gift. Faith is received. It's not earned. It's not something that we gain through our own experience. It's a divine gift. You have received faith this morning. If you are a Christian by the will of God and your salvation is a gift and your faith is a gift. And understanding that, listen, is vital in understanding our salvation. Now listen, don't get me wrong, I'm not a Calvinist. I believe in the free will of man. But I also believe in the sovereignty of God and that mystery is above my pay grade. But I see both in Scripture and here what we see is a gift. Salvation is a divine allotment to mankind. And if you're here today and you think you can earn your salvation, you're missing it. You can't do anything to make things right with God in your daily life. Because you have, we have, offended a righteous God and have broken the laws of God. And therefore we have a penalty against us that must be paid if He is a righteous judge. And good works don't even begin to obtain forgiveness of God. It doesn't matter if we go to church. It doesn't matter if we read our Bible. It doesn't matter if we're religious, moral. It doesn't matter if we have this good philosophy. All of those things are byproduct of what God has done in us. And works don't begin to obtain forgiveness from God. If you are saved, God in His great mercy and in that mystery has opened your eyes and allowed you to see the goodness of God in the great message of the Gospel. In His great mercy, you have lacheno by the divine will of God. You have received it by the divine will of God. Now I believe that God wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Peter believed that. And he'll talk about that later in this book. 
And we began to learn later as we look in this book that once saved, always saved. The eternal security of the, of the Christian, once converted, always converted. And so this letter is to those Christians who have been given the gift of salvation, it says, is the same kind of as ours. What does he mean by the same kind as ours? Does he mean the same kind in position? Like uh, the same kind as, as, as apostles? I mean, he is an apostle. He could be including the group as, an, as a group of apostles. Well, the phrase same kind simply means be equal in value or equal in privilege. So does it mean as an apostle? Well, it could be. But I think that with all of Scripture in mind, we need to understand that that's not, I don't believe, what he's talking about. I think he is speaking of the Jew and Gentile conflict that's taking place. Look at Acts chapter 15, if you will, with me. Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 5. Here we see, it says, But some of the sects of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them, to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into the matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter... He stood up and he said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did also to us. And He made no distinction between us and them cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the, of the disciples a yoke which neither the Father nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are. You see, Peter is pretty consistent uh, in his understanding of the conflict between the Jew and Gentile here. When he says it's the same kind of as ours, I think he's referring to the salvation of both Jews and Gentiles. Galatians 3.28 says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, or, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, I think some take this verse out of context as they try to make it okay for women pastors and women leaders. Then they push their view of egalitarianism through this verse. But what he's talking about is in the very thought process that Peter is making it clear as he says, it's the same kind of faith as ours. We are no longer Jew nor Gentile. We are believers in Jesus Christ and we're saved by the same faith as ours. This is obviously by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, God declares you and me righteous. You see, right now, if you are not a believer, you have offended God, you have broken the law of God, and therefore you are unrighteous in the eyes of God. But when you believe in Jesus Christ, He declares you righteous. We call this justification. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made Him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf that we... 
people might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. When you are saved, we are justified. We call this justification, being declared righteous before God. But when God sees a Christian, He sees us as righteous and holy, not because we're sinless, but because we are in Christ. I've been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And therefore, God can see us as righteous. You see, it's kind of an example that I show people when I meet them in my office. I take my little blue book and I begin to explain the Gospel. And I say, this book is, is a picture of Jesus and we are outside. This pen is, is, is us. And when we are separated from God, when we are declared unrighteous before God, God sees us outside of Jesus and therefore He sees us as sinful, stained, and intimate with God. But when we become a Christian, we are placed in Christ. And when God sees us, He sees who? Jesus Christ. Justification. We're declared righteous in Christ. That's the example. Now the process in which we all become more and more righteous is the process of what? Sanctification. And then one day when we come to the end of our life, when we come and our, and our strength is, is no longer able to keep us and we see Jesus Christ face to face, we will experience what? Glorification. And so we as Christians through faith are declared righteous before God and it's only because of Christ's perfection that He can do that. Because He was sinless, He was perfect, He can take your place, He can take my place and make us righteous before God. As He bore our sins and we have been declared righteous before God. But it's only through Jesus Christ, the source the foundation that this can take place. That's why we see John 14.6. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the one that makes our justification before God. He declares us righteous, God does, because of Christ. But notice the wording here is it says, Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In the Greek, there is a single article making it the same person. He, he, listen, you want your tool bag, get your Bible out, write in right there beside that, God and Savior, circle those, and write out to the side, one tool for the deity of Christ. A tool for the deity of Christ. Because here, as it describes it as one person, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is Jesus Christ, our source to salvation. Now, I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do this, but I think I do. If, if you will, turn with me to, to Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60. I won't stay here long. I just want to show you a few things. Look at verse 16. Isaiah 60 verse 16. Listen to what God is called in the Old Testament. It says, You also suck the milk of nations, suck the breast of kings. Then you will know that I, the Lord, 
am your Savior. You see? 45, 21. Turn, turn to 45, verse 21. He says here in verse 21, Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together who has announced this from old, who has long since declared it, is not I the Lord, the, and there is no other God beside me, and the righteous, a righteous God and Savior. You see, these people didn't have the New Testament. They, they had the Old Testament. And yet, we see throughout Scripture, God is considered the Savior. And yet, Peter here, we can go on and on and show you examples of that. But Peter here is trying to express that Jesus Christ, our God and our Savior, is Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of Lords. And on Christmas we celebrated that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And yesterday, as we were at men's breakfast, we were able to see how small we are as Louis Giglio is, teaches us this indescribable measurement of how big God is. And yet, He looks back and He comes in the form of a man to save the world. <laughs> It is mind-boggling. It's not your works. It's not your good behavior. Not that you have been given to the poor, the needy. Not this or not that. Only Christ in His righteousness can we be forgiven and declared right before God. In order to stand against false teachers in our day and age, we must understand our salvation, the security of our salvation, and the source of our salvation. Because there will be a people that will teach you, oh, you must be baptized to be saved. Oh, you must have a lot of good works. Go knock on doors and do this and do that to be saved. And they will teach you other teachings that twist the Scripture of God. But yet Paul says, I didn't come to baptize, but I came to preach the Gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For it is the power to save the Gospel message. There will be a people in this day that will challenge you to do this and that and other things in order to be saved. But their teachings are false and twisted and not biblical. And we need to understand our salvation. It's the first step in, in, in defeating them. And we'll learn more as we move along through this book. But right now, understanding our salvation is vital. Do you truly understand your salvation this morning? You know, I have the opportunity to meet with people in my office all the time who are Christians. And I'm telling you today, we have a famine in our land where people do not understand their position in Jesus Christ. Their salvation is based off of works, based off of their own efforts, based off of their ability to live the perfect life. And let me tell you this morning, you will never be perfect as long as you are trapped in this sinful flesh that we live in. And our salvation depends solely, solely on one man, and that's Jesus Christ, in His work on the cross, as He said, to tell us it is finished. It's all about Jesus Christ 
and very, very little about us. As a Christian has been saved, you received the righteousness of Christ. In verse 2 explains what we receive as Christians. He says here in verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus, or Jesus our Lord. You see, grace is given to those in Christ, and when grace is given, peace is brought about. Grace is a favor of God. It's God bestowing on us what we do not deserve. It's it's us getting something other than what do we deserve. Because the reality is, is if you've ever told a lie, if you've ever stole, if you've ever looked at a woman or a man in lust, that makes you a lying, a thieving, adulterous, and you've broken the commandments of God, and we deserve the wrath of God. But God in His great mercy... And in His great grace, bestowed to us something we don't deserve. That's grace. And grace, my friends, always precedes faith. I mean, peace. We don't need to miss that. Because the grace of God produces peace with God. And it's not until we experience peace with God that we can have the peace of God in our daily lives. And so grace and peace are to be multiplied. They are to increase. They are to double. They are to expand. They are to grow. This is the same something that we should all be growing in in our lives. And if I can just get real with you for a minute. If I can just be honest, we have been missing our family more now than ever. I think it's natural, but I've watched tears fall from my wife's eyes, I've watched tears fall from my own, my children. And I have struggled with missing fellowship with my brother and missing seeing my father get old. I miss those things. I miss my kids being able to grow up with their cousins and and play sports. And, And inside in my flesh, I say they deserve that. I needed this message this week. This message may not be for you this morning, but I and my family needed this message this week. As I sat down and I talked with my wife on Friday night, and we had a very serious conversation. Short and sweet, which is unusual. I know you think I speak forever, but usually when I'm conversating with my wife, it's pretty short and sweet. God showed me both grace and peace. In that short moment, and as I studied this week for this message, God showed me by way of reminder that I am not my own. That I've been bought with a price. I'm a doulos of God. 
that I have been purchased with the blood of Jesus. Oh, it's okay to miss family. It's okay for you and me to have struggles in our life. It's okay to wonder what in the world is happening as we feel like sometimes God has completely left us. It's even okay to sometimes ask, why, Lord? But struggling and in pain and confusion, wondering what in the world God is doing, and thinking life is so hard, it's important to remember grace and peace are to be multiplied to us in our daily lives. God can give comfort in knowing Jesus Christ in our salvation. Colossians 3, 1-2 was my memory verse last week. It says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not the things on this earth. And sometimes, I think we simply need to stop focusing on ourselves and begin to seek God and remember to have the knowledge of our salvation and the knowledge of God and begin to focus on heavenly things. It's in the knowledge of God that we receive grace and peace in our lives. If you are here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and as your personal Savior, you can experience this. And if you're not experiencing this grace and this peace, then I ask you to test your faith. James says, test your faith. The Greek word here is epigenoso, means knowledge, to know. It doesn't require simple knowing the truth about the Lord, but truly knowing Him through His words is what it means. Gnosko is the Greek word knowledge. Epigonosko, it's listed like six times. Out of the 16, out of the 16 times gnosko is used, epigonosko, six of those 16 is epi. It, 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 it gives it emphasis. To truly know, if you remember from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean not on your understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge. Knowledge is the key word there, to know. And when we begin to know the sovereignty of God, when we begin to know the attributes of God, we can begin to understand the grace and the peace and the mercy that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why I dislike this saying that says, share the gospel and when necessary, use words. Baloney. People don't get saved by you being a good person. It's important that you're a good person so that you can set a good example. But the reality is that I've never had anybody come up to me and say, Stuart, I noticed you're a great guy and how you handled that situation and because of that I got saved. No. Without the Word of God, people can't be saved. They can't understand their salvation. We must know God through His very Word. Epigonosco. And therefore, we must grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.
Philippians 3.10 says, listen, it says this, I want to know Christ. Who's speaking here? Anybody know who wrote Philippians? Paul. Paul. Paul is saying, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship and the sharing of His sufferings becoming like Him in His death. Paul encourages us to desire to truly know God through His Word. And we must avoid false teachers by knowing Christ. The best way to See a phonies by knowing what the real looks like. It's vital in being faithful to the truth and overcoming these false teachers. I want you to think about this today and this week. If you don't know what you are in Christ, brother and sister, you are in big trouble. And you will be tossed to and fro. This is the basics. This is the basics of the basics. The basics of salvation in Christ. And we must know what it means to be saved. Being able to stand and grow as Christians begins with our knowledge of Christ and of our salvation. Take up the helmet of salvation this week and make sure that you understand it well. Know it. Hold tight to the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And this week, begin to seek after God and begin to evaluate where you are and begin to see where God wants you to grow so that you might be used to your full potential in Christ, so that you might be protected from false teachers. They're out there to draw you away from God in the first step in battling against these people, these heretics, these false teachers, is understanding your salvation in Christ and having a true knowledge, epigenosco, knowing God personally. Let us pray this morning.